And away we go. It is another edition of the BCJ podcast right here on BearcatJournal.com presented to you by the Holy Grail Saturday. If you're not watching the game at the Holy Grail, what are you doing? Bengals in the playoffs against the Titans, the one seed in Nashville, 430 Saturday. Bengals and Buckets at the Holy Grail. Make sure you are there. That place was uh, was packed on Friday night, was packed on Saturday. If you're a Bengals fan and you're not around other Bengals fans at the Grail, uh, unless you're Dave Simone and you're superstitious, you're doing it wrong. So there you go. Holy Grail, Saturday, Bearcat, or Bearcat, Bengals Titans, and uh, make sure you check it out. Colin, Colin just wants me to talk Bengals the whole time. <laughs> the people have discovered that, like, you, you might your your better avenue for content might be the Bengals. I, the people want a, a Mo and Dave. I know a Bengals lot about. Podcast. I know a lot about them. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, On the Bearcats front, though, Dave. I'm sure we'll get to the Bengals, but yes, this is a Bearcats podcast, so we would be doing our loyal listeners an injustice if we just started with that. Let's start with our our newest partner. We, we can't give out what it looks like yet, but we did get a shipment today, Dave. I did. And uh, I, it was, I, it, was I that one of the... Was that one of the ones that was at the top of your wish list? Uh, we can't yeah. we can't tell them what, but that would that would have been uh, in my top group, I guess yeah. you could say. I, I got a couple in my top group as well. They gave me two. You only got one. I'm sorry. They sent Kelsey one too, and she has not taken it off. I'm like, you can't wear that yet. It's <laughs> it's embargoed until Saturday. She's like, I'm wearing it around the house, Deb. So. Uh, she's not allowed to come on camera <laughs> at all tonight if she tries to walk in the room. They are soft. They are comfortable. And uh, I said this on Twitter, Dave. I'm sure you will agree with me. When this goes live on Saturday at noon, you're not going to be able to buy just one item. Like, th there's 15 of them, and they are all they're all retro. It's all is there, is there that many? 15? Yeah, there's 15 of them. They're all retro. They're all old school designs and markings and logos. And it is outstanding. Crewnecks, hoodies, t-shirts, tank tops, high level, high level stuff. Big fan. You, you're, you're experienced with the home field brand. They've had their Tennessee collection out for a while, right? I have, I have known about them for a minute. Yeah. Um, Rachel has a Michigan State sweatshirt i have a tennessee volunteers 1998 national champs t-shirt yeah they've been a sponsor for maybe the only sponsor and the original sponsor for uh the split zone duo podcast that i've listened to for a long time you can get split zone duo t-shirt from them you can get a stephen godfrey hates my team t-shirt <laughs> um but yeah they've uh they've they just have a lot of, and even like, you know, I like them because, you know, there's other schools that I'm not affiliated with or anything, but that 
you just see a lot of cool designs and a lot of cool old logos that you know you don't see in the marketplace very often that if you're like oh that's a cool navy shirt right you know support the troops um they sent kelly this one the original the fight cincinnati one which is which is old school yeah they've got like some that was their first one that they put out yeah um sneak preview of but uh there's like some cool app state stuff if I can remember. Um, Marquette stuff I think that's pretty pretty cool. It's the Marquette color scheme is on a t-shirt is outstanding. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I have a feeling that our fan base will uh, enjoy the variety. Uh, there's even a. Uh, it's, it's also not even limited to football and basketball. I'll give that little sneak peek for, for our Yeah, I, I, I'll give them a huge hat tip to the fact that when they say vintage, man, they dug deep. Like, they went back through the archives and found some cool-looking stuff. Mm-hmm. So, Saturday noon, home field apparel, be ready. Because uh, there's a couple of them, Dave, that are going to sell out fast. I, so. I, I have an idea of one that I, I want to get, but <laughs> there's, there's three or four of them. I think that aren't going to last long. So be ready for that. Thanks to uh hometown for sponsoring. And like, like it says at the scroll, if you go to homefieldapparel.com when this hits 15% off your first purchase, if you use the code Bearcat journal. So there you go. All right, well, Dave, a lot has happened. Yeah, it's been we have, uh, since we have talked. There's a we joke about it all the time, but like, there's always something going on. <laughs> uh, had Nick Mardner committed by the time we did this podcast? Yeah. Okay, that was okay. Yeah. Sometimes we 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 switch days and things things get a little jumbled in my brain. Yeah. Uh, I think we had to do Thursday last week because of a Wednesday basketball game. We did. So you're right. Yeah. Um, let's start with the staff. Let's if you start are, there. if you are a member of Bearcat Journal, you're very happy with your level of uh, coverage because we had it nailed. Uh, Gino Gaduli, offensive coordinator, and now offensive coordinator, quarterback coach. Maybe the biggest uh, surprise of everything that happened uh mike cummings in as offensive line coach replacing ron crook uh what is gonna you know happen with ron crook is still a little bit up in the air as i have said i'm sure if he can find an offensive line to coach he will go coach an offensive line somewhere uh but this was not a an ugly divorce per se um and if he needs a job i'm quite certain he will have one here in some capacity. Um, defensively, Kerry Combs is back. Walt Stewart is back. Colin Hitchler has been elevated to co-defensive coordinator. And overall, Dave, I, I think <laughs> it's not often you can look at the losses that they had and look at the way things shaped out and go, eh, I, I like where 
this is kind of played out for the Bearcats? Yeah, I think it's there's a lot to be excited about. You know, the proof will still, of course, be in the results. But um, I think each guy has a lot of things that you can point to and say that this is a intelligent, smart uh, hire that keeps the program advancing. Because, I mean, you're either getting better or you're getting worse. It's a stupid cliche, but, like, nobody in sports, college sports, pro sports, no one just stays the same. Like, you, there's way too many moving parts, whether it's roster, coaches, etc. Like, you're either getting better or you're going to get worse. And I think that these staff changes um, give the Bearcats a chance to get better. And I think the main area that it gives them a chance to get better is in recruiting. Yeah. I mean, I, did you look in, did you dig in on Cummings? Like what, I mean, obviously he's done a really good job developing offensive linemen. Not from a recruiting standpoint, just because like, I don't know if there's anything from the central side of things that are going to, is going to jump out and make you go, Oh yeah, he's a ace recruiter. I don't know. Like, you know, I think that, I think that's harder to decipher without really trying to like find out, okay, who did he, who was he really responsible for? Did any of these guys have quote unquote bigger offers that he was able to keep them? I think for me, not everybody can be, you know, quote unquote recruiting guru, recruiting stalwart coach. Um, but I think as we progress and grow as a program, there are more and more of those guys are needed. And not say, I'm not saying you put X's and O's to the back burner, but like I'm okay if the offensive line coach is more about development and scheme than I am recruiting. Um because we know how the dynamics are shifting, how the demographics are shifting. There's just less big people in the, you know, in the world. You mean there's those. not a lot of a lot, a lot of athletic guys that are six six that can carry three hundred and ten right. pounds, right? And if they're, you know, and granted though, we're seeing you see getting more and more of those guys straight out of high school, but it's still like the true, you know. If and when UC starts pulling like several four-star, highly sought-after offensive linemen, then we can talk about that. But it's still a development position for them. Sure. It's still a find a quality guy like an Ethan Green and turn him into a Bernard Raymond, who, for those that don't know, is a Central Michigan offensive lineman, came in as a tight end, and now we'll probably be drafted in the first round or early second round in April. I'm more interested in that type of stuff with Coach Cummings than I am like, well, who did he recruit like out of high school? Yeah, and he also had the number one 
pick in the draft as someone he developed as well. So right, and and stuff. I mean, he's got two guys in the Senior Bowl this year. Yeah, they had the number one and and offensive line and you know offensive line and offense in general kind of goes hand in hand. So like, is he a hundred percent? You know, and a contributing factor to them having the nation's leading rusher? No, but. Having the nation's leading rusher is definitely a feather in his cap from a scheme and run game and then offensive line play standpoint. So, like, you can't have the nation's number – you can't have the nation's leading rusher. And a bad offensive line. And just have a bunch of (laughs) slappies up there on the offensive line. That's not how that works. No. So – but I think, you know, where he might be more of the X's and O's coach, the, you know, you like to, I, I sometimes put him in, you know, are you a ball coach or are you crouton season? Like I would put him more in the ball coach and I would, without knowing much about Walt from a pure coaching standpoint, I would put him in obviously carry in more of the, the crouton season. Well, guys. And that's – I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I would say that's where I think the staff as a whole um, can take some some leaps, especially with the carrot now of the college football playoff and the Big 12 in their pocket that they haven't had while they've been at recruiting in the past. Yeah, I, what I was going to say is if you've met Walt, if you know Walt, Walt just is a recruiter. Like <laughs> he's got a great personality, a big smile. He's trustworthy. He's likable. Like it, everything about Walt screams that dude is going to be able to go into living rooms and get people to buy in. Well, yeah, and you, you you know, and it's a real thing. Like you have a young African American guy coming back to his alma mater who is going to want to bust his ass to get dudes to prove that he didn't just get this job because he went to UC and had, you know, had probably still had some connections to people in the, maybe not Luke himself, but people associated with the program who others outside the program might've might say things like, well, they just, you know, fed his name to Luke, you know, because they knew him from, In you know, and and kind of you know, insubordination type, you know, thing with you know, just getting someone that the program is familiar with, right? And and this is also for Walt, like, he's tried to come back here. This is like the third time where he's like really made a push to to get back to Cincinnati. Um, and this time it, it worked out. So he's going to be hungry. He's going to want it, like you said, he's going to want to prove, like, I'm here to be really good at this. And, and I'm here. You know what Walt wants. Walt wants to be the head coach of the Cincinnati Bearcats. Like, so I, I think he's going to be very driven, very motivated to, uh, to make this happen. Uh, Crypt Keeper. Kerry Combs is coming back to Cincinnati to be a coach. On, is he coming back to run the defense? He's coming back to be the special teams coordinator and the cornerbacks coach. 
so when when Brian Mason and Perry Eliano left, that left three openings on the staff, essentially. Brian Mason was special teams coordinator, and he coached the sniper dollar linebacker position, which is basically the strong side coverage linebacker, Deshaun Pace, Jarrell White, uh, you know. Um, so Combs took over for special teams and then the cornerback coach position when Perry Eliano went to Ohio State. What happened? It's like, whoa, hey. Um, And then Walt Stewart is taking over the sniper outside linebacker position uh, that was part of uh, Brian Mason going to Notre Dame. So that's kind of where that is. No problem. Uh, And look, for Carrie... I know, you know, there's been so much. The the, the person talked about on Bearcat Journal the most since 2006. It's probably like Mick Cronin. (laughs) Because we had 13 years of that. Like Mick Cronin, number one. uh, Carrie Combs, number two. (laughs) Um, I think this is perfect for Carrie. And I think he's going to be motivated. Not that he was ever not going to be motivated. But... I think he's going to want to prove it, man. I I think he's going to want to say, look, it wasn't just because I was at Ohio State that I was, I was, you know, good at what I did. Uh, I'm going to come here and, and really show towards the tail end of his, you know, he's in his sixties now, early sixties, but in his sixties, like, you know, I'm, I'm good at this stuff. And, and I still got a lot of, a lot of tread left on the tires, I think. Uh, Well, yeah, I mean, I feel like he'll be, I don't want to say rejuvenated, but like, I think anytime you, these guys take a different job and I think he'll be super motivated because of the way things and ended in Ohio State. State. Yeah. Like, sure. these are all super competitive driven people. Like, they don't want to be known as like, oh, well, you you're you're a good coordinator and you're or you're a good coach and you're a good guy and but you know you're going to be remembered for not being a good defensive coordinator I mean I I've just known Kerry and known of him for too long to think that that's that that's going to be okay with him to to finish his coaching career out like that um I hope our fans are ready for the longest hashtags in the history of the world yeah He's a long hashtag guy. Which I think is hilarious because they are super long. And you have well, they're to read, sentences. They're you have to read them like 17 times to realize. And he doesn't capitalize the the new words. <laughs> he has to like read them to figure out, okay, what is that word? What is that word? Yeah, he loves very long hashtags and wearing short sleeves, which I could appreciate because I'm the same way. But... Uh, but yeah, I think it's, I mean, Carrie recruiting for UC, coming off of a college football playoff and going to the Big 12, I don't know if you could really, like, draw that up any better for, from a UC standpoint. Sure. Like, who are you going to get to come in that will carry that kind of, carry, will bring that kind of juice to the recruiting trail that knows 
Cincinnati proper knows the university, knows the football program, knows the head coach. Like, that's about as seamless. Was that Blue Smith in the background of that picture? Uh, put it back up. <laughs> I don't know what year it was taken, but it was Ohio State 83. I don't know. That Blue's a lot t- Like, Blue's legs are really long. Yeah. I just caught the 83. Yeah. Um, but, I, yeah, I mean, who else could come in and hit the ground running like he's going to be able to? Right. And I think it's interesting. I think there was uh, a segment of the high school football community when he was first at Cincinnati that maybe didn't uh, love Kerry as much as they could have. <laughs> Because he had kicked everybody's butt, and Carrie's a pretty loud guy. Like, yeah, I, he went he went straight from kicking all their asses to then like, you know, hey, loving, send me your kids, loving up on them, and right, you know, um, but and look, there is like it or not, we we've, we've seen it with Luke. There is something about having Ohio State kind of in your past that opens doors in the state of Ohio that have been hard for Cincinnati to open in the past. Sure. I mean, and think about all the kids and the relationships and everything that now he recruited them and maybe they were just, just outside of what Ohio state wanted, but now he goes back in and is like, Yes, you can absolutely come play for me here. Right. Like, I mean, we saw, we're seeing it already. I mean, I don't want, I think it's silly to like think that you know, he's, not, <laughs> he's not even on staff yet, but like just the one kid that basically said, like, and will you see get him? Probably not. I mean, he's what, the 19th ranked player in the country? Right. But just the fact that he came out and said, Cincinnati is in my top group now. Just- and this is this is a kid that has made it very evident in his recruiting process. Kerry Combs is his guy. Yeah, I mean, his dad set, has told people that. Like, they trust him. Now, when it, when it, yeah, when it's not cutting time, are they going to pick right. UC over Georgia and Alabama? That remains to be seen. But... Um, that's the kind of effect that he has. And if you don't know who we're talking about, there you get the picture. That is AJ Harris, who plays high school football at the same place that produced JQ Hardaway, who was Cincinnati's number two commit in the 2022 class. Now they did not play together. Yeah, he just transferred there. He just transferred there. But they clearly, based on their Twitter interactions, know know each other well. Uh, so that can't hurt either. No. <laughs> but again, like his list is pretty much everybody, right? Oh, his list is where he, his offer list is wherever he wants to go. Like, yeah, that's. Yeah. He's the five star top 20 player. And like, he's going wherever he wants to go. That's his list. Here's what we know the chances of him landing at Cincinnati are better than they were before they added Kerry Combs. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he... Yeah. 
so yeah. Uh, Colin Hitchler. I, I think that's an interesting one. Because I think it's a rare insight to like Luke Fickle's inner circle, if you will. Yeah. Um, we need to we need to get more, and you know you you know because you go to practice and and whatever. But like I need to just for my own self worth, uh, I'd like to talk to Hitch or get to know him more because like when you talked about the NFL background and knowing the scouts and. Just in this week, dude is throwing some major offers out there. Yeah. Um, and I, he's like, I just don't know. Like, I don't know if we've even ever done like a one-on-one with him. Like, he's quiet. Like, so like, I don't know a ton about him. Um, he's he's not quiet, but he's not like, he's not looking to get in front of the camera. Right. So I'm going to have to, we're going to have to try to break that ice and get him a little bit more comfortable with us to where he's like, I, you know, I, I have a good relationship with him. Oh no. That's what I, I assume so. But like, you know how, like, especially with spring ball, we always, yeah. try to get, we always try to get the new coaches so that the fans can get to know them. Sure. And then at higher ground, we always try to get whether, it, you know, every other day, whenever we're, when we can, and whether we get a player or a coach, I just feel like, and maybe I just don't remember, but I don't remember us doing anything with him. And obviously, we didn't do higher ground two years pet, ago. This pet two years ago. Um, so I just don't remember. And he's someone that I would like to to know more about because he obviously, you know, Luke thinks he's a hell of a coach. Elevating him to co-defensive coordinator, he's you know been in charge of some very good safeties in a short period of time. He seems to be like a, uh, you know, on the recruiting spectrum of things like guys, when they, you know, guys talk about him on visits or uh, in commit stories, he's, he's throwing around some big offers in the Philly, New Jersey area this week. So just, I'll go to like um, the athletic has done that series, like yeah, oh, yeah, I remember, state, right? Yeah, I remember that where they people up in Philly like threw his name out there, like just like you know. like two or three different times they were like, Colin Hitchler's up here doing work for Cincinnati in this area. Yeah, like when they're talking about like what coaches not from like not Penn State, not Pitt, Pitt. not like Michigan, like Michigan recruits that area a lot, like. You know, maybe guys that you wouldn't think. Um, but, yeah. Like, before Fickle, or like they, they're like, Colin Hitchler's up here doing work. So, uh, And I think he was in the New Jersey one, too, where they talked about a couple guys people talked about him. So, um, I think they have a feel that of the guys on staff, like, that's the, the up-and-comer. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, giving him co-DC – giving him more responsibility, giving him, I would assume, a bigger paycheck with a better title. I, I could see Hitch being kind of groomed as like the next the next de- like play-calling full-time defensive coordinator here. And look, man, Derek Forrest and James Wiggins were really good under him. They were really good when he took over, but he was also – like he worked for Tenuta for yeah. at, le- at least a year, I think two years as quality control. Um, 
and Brian Cook, like, you want to talk about somebody that developed in his time here? That's a dude that developed his ass off. And Javon Hicks, I thought, was much better this year. Yeah. So if you're looking just strictly at, like, him as a coach, now this coming year is going to be, like, uh, let's see what you got, right? (laughs) Right. Like, if you can develop these guys real quick, then that would definitely open some eyes. And if you go back to Monday – when we were talking to Brady about the weight room, uh, he was effusive in his praise for threats. Yeah. And threw Isaiah Cox in there too. So they at least have a couple guys that, that you can tell they're like, they're pretty high on uh, in terms of, of who's going to step up. But if Hitch takes that, that vacant spot from Cook and turns it into another dude, then your eyebrows really raise and you go, look, man, this guy's really good at his job. Yeah, because you have, I mean, we have no idea what that spot's going to look like. Right. Stylistically, like, you're not going to find another Brian Cook, I don't think. Well, I don't think they have one right now on this roster. I mean, we could be proven, proven wrong. Um but yeah, I don't, I don't see a player quite of that style um, right now. But again, a lot he's of these guys. Go down as, he's going to go down as one of my favorite Bearcats to watch play, even though it was such, such a limited window that we got to see him. Oh, yeah. Because, man, there were dudes like we, – we would get to go to practice on Tuesdays, right? And, and Tuesdays are the hard work days. And Tuesdays are also really the first practice since Saturday. So there's a lot of dudes at that point in time that are kind of like nursing. You know, maybe I, maybe I, I got a bruise, like a bruise my thigh or turn my ankle or, and those guys, those guys were always pretty limited on Tuesday. Yeah. They're, we're, they're still closer to the previous game than we are the next game. So they're like, right. yeah, I don't need to go full go today. There were multiple Saturdays this season where at the end of the game, I was like, Brian Cook's probably not going to be back out there till Thursday at best. And we might not see him for a couple weeks. And you go back, and there he is Tuesday. <laughs> right out on the field. Like, and, and from talking to the, sta- like the, 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 the training staff, like, he, was, he was there immediately on Sunday mornings, getting rehab, getting better. He was there on Mondays, getting better. Because he like he was hell bent on Tuesdays. I'm a practice, and that's a dude I think that's gonna he's gonna stick in the NFL for a long time, uh, even if it's just as like a rotational safety and special teams player. Yeah, well, you know he'll get in there on all the special teams. I mean that. But I think it's safety, man. Like that dude's gonna be rock solid for a long time in the NFL. Like this team is going to miss Brian Cook. He he quickly became one of my favorite Bearcats to watch because there was no bullshit to Brian Cook. No bullshit. It was, I'm coming here to, to get better and try to make my family generational money. Yeah. And very few guys with his recruiting profile succeed at that. And that dude did. For sure. I mean, he probably has, I think it's my favorite like singular play of the year was 
the hit play on like kind of the throwback screen against Central Florida. He, I mean, yeah, that was like, a big one. Like just the, the the time of the game, like UC was really starting to kick the crap out of them. And then they tried to do that, and it was just played so well by so many people on the play. But, like, just his hit and just everybody just went crazy. Like, that's like a singular play. Like, I'll, I will never forget that play. Um, yeah, Hitch Hitch is a guy I think we need to try to to get – get some some screen time with yeah uh mike brown elevated to and this is one justin williams had he scooped me on this one i'll let him have one it's okay it happens sometimes mike brown elevated the passing game coordinator i think that you know there were there were a lot of people interested in mike brown sometimes you got you got pony up to keep the coaches right if you got guys you want to keep you gotta you gotta dig into the pockets a little bit and cincinnati had to do that with uh with keeping Mike Brown and, and with Gino now not being the passing game coordinator, uh, I think it opens up and gives Mike Brown a chance to advance his career as well. And that's another one, man. He's down in Florida throwing haymakers. Oh, these guys offers left and right today. And not small ones. Oh, no. Like, we're not – this is what's been crazy to me. And we'll get to recruiting a little bit more later, but since we're talking about the coaches – and these guys being out, like they're, they're all quickly out on the road. Uh, they're not out offering the, the 85 guys. They're, well, they are some, but like, you know, they're not out offering the middle level guys anymore. If you're not an 88, you better be pretty special to get an offer from Cincinnati right well, now. Well, yeah, I mean, I've, I'm obviously trying to retweet as many as I see. And <clears throat> if they're 2023s, I'll make a more of a uh, you know note of it. If it's 2024, then you're just getting a retweet. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm not too worried about that. But I mean, they're offering as many four stars as they are three stars. That's for sure. They're not playing around with this 2023 cycle. I mean, shoot your shot, right? Like you're hot right now. You're hot in the streets. You, you yeah, might there's, there's no out. better time. I mean, yeah. what are you going to wait? Like, no, let's let's go after it. Yeah. Is it going to be harder? Sure. Absolutely. But, it it should be. You're not getting to where everybody wants you to get and to where they want to get by doing the same thing. Like I said, you're either getting better or you're getting worse. You're not being more competitive with Georgia and Alabama, and you're not – becoming a top 10 program by offering and recruiting the same kids that you did to get here. And it's no knock on those kids. They have been awesome and they have gotten UC to this point, but you're, you know, just recruiting those same kids is not going to get you to that next level. Right. Um, Let's catch catch up up on on some questions. questions. Yeah. New uniforms. I would not expect that. Uh, I, the the Under Armour deal, like uniforms, are a a large undertaking. Uh, maybe there's a new alternate, but I would not expect an overhaul for uniforms until their first year with whoever is the new apparel company, whenever that comes about. Uh, did Gino call the place? Uh, look, Luke Fickle told Pete Thamel Gino called the place. 
So <laughs> I, I don't know what else to tell you. You know, maybe maybe when we get we get Luke, we'll we'll ask him or or try to find out a, a more definitive answer. But Luke Fickle told Pete Thamel that Gino called the plays this year. That is something clearly. We got a lot of like, why didn't anybody report this? Do you think they're letting that out that their offensive coordinator is not calling the plays? <laughs> Who's going to talk about that? Like, that's you get fired immediately if it gets discovered that you were the leak on the offensive coordinator wasn't calling the plays. You gotta, you gotta think a little bit. Like the only, the only reason that stuff gets out is because somebody talks about it. I heard a couple rumblings that Gino called the the Cotton Bowl uh, as Denbrock left for LSU, but it was never fully confirmed, so I never ran with it. Uh, Pete obviously ran with it because Luke told him. I am going to take Luke at his word. If Luke said Gino called the plays, Gino called the plays. And here's what I'll also say. If you think they did a bad job calling plays in 2021 – you probably should re-examine your football knowledge. They were one of the most explosive offenses in college football. They were one of the best offenses in college football. They scored points. They gained yards. Like, were there bumps in the road? Sure. But the reality is, if that wasn't the best offensive season in program history, it was the second best. And if Geno's first year calling the plays at Cincinnati produced the second best offensive season in program history, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what else to tell you. I'll let you expand on that because I'm sure you have thoughts. Well, I mean, they were 24th in yards per attempt passing. That's pretty good, right? Yes. Okay. They were, hold on while I pull this up. They were 18th in yards per carry rushing. That's pretty good, right? Yeah. So they gained a lot of yards per play passing and a lot of yards per rush running. They were 10th in the country in rushing touchdowns. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, scoring offense, they were 11th. At 36.9 points per game. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, let's see. Passer rating. They were 14th in the country. That's pretty good, right? That Yeah. Yeah. I think that's solid. I think you would take that. If I told you next year they would be 14th, I think everybody would be happy with that. Yeah. Um, they were 14th in passing touchdowns. That's pretty good, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, they were. This is counting the uh, bowl game, playoff game. They were here. Hold on. I'll even do this. I'll do this one better to try to make it. They were 44th in the country in sacks allowed at 1.86 per game. That's pretty good. Out of 130 teams. Yeah. So basically they were top 25 in everything. Yeah. I mean, 
I don't think they were, before I say this, I'm going to check. I think they were great on third down this year. Uh, no, they were 73rd. 39.5%. So they can get better on third down. Okay. But for the most part, they had an offense that helped them go 13 and 1. I think so, that's a, I think that's I, good. I would I would say that's uh it's pretty good. Why did we pay Denbrock half a million to coach tight ends? Then I, I would trust Luke. I, here's here's I went back over this a couple times, and we'll talk about it here. The Georgia game changed the trajectory of UC football in a million ways, right? Because that was supposed to be the end of that group. Des was going to go pro. Maje was going to go pro. Kobe wasn't going to stay. And you couple that with Forrest and Wiggins and, you know, everything that led up to that game, they made the New Year's Six, right? And it was supposed to be a reset kind of then. And then you go wire to wire with Georgia and all these guys decide, I want to do something special. And they all decide, let's come back. And then you lose Marcus Freeman, right? This is, this is the important part of this equation that I need people to understand. <laughs> then you lose Marcus Freeman. So you're going to run it back trying to win a championship, replacing both coordinators? Like, no. So Denbrock staying, I think, was something that going into the offseason, I think it, it was time last year in the natural progression of Geno, one year as running back coach, three years as quarterback coach, for Geno to become the offensive coordinator after the end of last season. But then the the, the Vandy thing, and I, I'd love to tell some stories about what I heard about that interview process. <laughs> He's gone. I can tell one, right? Well, yeah, you can tell as many as you want. Apparently, they spent nine hours in a room watching video, took one break to use the bathroom and get a drink of water. There were no drinks in the room. Like, you couldn't just have, like, hand up, like, can I get a water? They sat there and, and dissected and evaluated tape for nine hours like they were in Guantanamo Bay, from what I heard of that that Bandy interview process for offensive coordinator. You would have been an idiot to have taken that job at that well, I'm pretty sure they fired their offensive coordinator this year. Yeah, after one year. Yeah. So, Denbrock stays. But I think the natural progression of everything going into this year, that Gina was going to have a, a, a heavier influence. And I guess and, to, to me, like, I don't know if it's like also being like a big Bengals fan and just NFL fan in general. Like I've never given a rip about like title and who calls plays. Cause like, 
how many off there's tons of offensive coordinators that don't call plays. So like, are you, are we saying that like they're like, they shouldn't be paid a certain dollar amount or they shouldn't have X amount of responsibility. Like, I just don't think it matters. But in, but in this case, like we've kind of gotten to the point where, you know, the writing I think was somewhat on the wall of like what needed to happen in order to move things forward and possibly uh, keep certain staff members in Cincinnati. Right there. I mean, there was a very real possibility that, that Gino was close to leaving last off season. Yeah. So maybe the, People have goals and aspirations. Like, as much as fan bases want to think that, like, oh, dude played here, he'll never leave. Not, oh, I mean, not everybody just wants to come back to their alma mater and and be a quarterback coach for thirty years. Like, pe- people do have, you know, interest in progressing in their career. And again, he was hired or promoted to offensive coordinator at Central Michigan. Yeah, and left right. to be the running backs coach, which, he's ne- which he never coached before. Right. So he obviously had aspirations to move up the ladder. What about the reality of, look, you know, we need to keep Gino, so we got to throw in something. Maybe it's play calling. And, and, and if that's what happened, that's what happened. So, I, I don't know. I, I also have another theory on why Denbrock took so much shit. And to a, a different extent, coupled with Denbrock, was Dez. Because those two guys over the past five years took more shit than anybody, right? Oh, yeah. So, you couldn't go after Luke Fickle, <laughs> right? <laughs> Because he saved the program. 11 wins, 11 wins, 9 wins, 9 and 1, uh, 13 wins. You ain't taking shots at Luke Fickle. And you weren't taking shots at Marcus Freeman. No. Because he was the chosen one, the golden child, if you will. And fans these days have to take shots at someone. <laughs> and... There's only so many people at the top of the, the food chain. So the people at the top of the food chain were Luke Fickle, Marcus Freeman, Mike Denbrock, Gino Gnoli, or, or, or Desmond Ritter, sorry. And you weren't taking shots at the first two. So Denbrock and Des took a lot of unnecessary fire just so people could get their... Uh, their their level their quote their bitching quota in. Well, yeah, I mean it's just the way that it works. I mean, the quarterback right. takes more shit and also gets more credit than they deserve. And you know, if you have a stellar stellar defense, and you know, I don't think anybody's like, I don't think we're breaking any news, but like 2018 2019, the offense wasn't exactly like you know, the greatest show on turf. The defense was still, was, was very good for those teams. And yeah, 
the reason you were in games or winning games a lot of the time. Um, so that's you know that's just the way that it's going to be. But yeah, you know, last two all, years the offense has been very good. The offense has been <laughs> last two seasons. The offense has been more than you know more than <laughs> whatever you could have thought it would be. It's right. been more. It's been more than, in my opinion. I agree. The, the numbers clearly tell the story. And, and like when you were going over those numbers, and and they stick for for both seasons. It's not like there was like a like a anomaly. Like there, there's not like it was a gimmick, or you know, it was things were out of place. It was like, oh, this team's very good running and passing the ball. This team's very consistent. This team moves the chains. What this year they were fifth in lowest number of uh, third down snaps. Like they were getting first downs on first and second down. Like they were they were incredibly efficient. So this need to bash somebody allowed everybody to kind of pick Denbrock as like that's the villain. That's the and then Dez, you couldn't bash him anymore really because from. Game four last year, all the way through this year, he was outstanding. So now that was off the table. So now it had to be Denbrock. The only well, Trestle took a lot of Trestle took a lot of smoke this year because he was new and nobody likes him from the last time. Or yeah. there's a segment that don't like him. I mean, and it's hard, it's hard to compare seasons too, because you had sure this, this year you had 13 games of Notre Dame and Indiana and Alabama versus last year you had Basically, no one worth a damn in the non-conference. You know, the army defense was good. It was okay, but like this year, they averaged thirty-six point nine points per game, and last year they averaged thirty-seven point five points per game. So you're averaging thirty over thirty-five points both seasons, while also having, you know, a top top flight defense. Right. Where you don't have to, you're not being asked to carry the load. And it's funny, like the 37.5 points per game was 17th in the country last year. And this year, fewer points per game was 11th in the country. Right. I I just, I don't know. I, I get annoyed with the whole like, was Denbrock perfect? No, nobody is. Like no, no one is. If I mean, like if you're gonna, and this is what fans do, and I'm guilty of it as much as anybody. I mean, I was fucking irate walking out of the Mercedes Benz Dome last year. Like I've never been more mad at a singular play call in my entire life without having any idea of what the call was, what if it was an audible, if. Des read something wrong. If someone else did something wrong that forced him to do so, like I didn't know any of those things walking out of the stadium, and I, I was as mad as I've ever been Living. about one single singular thing. The reality like, was on that play, a dude just made a play, right? But I'm just saying, like, if we're gonna go through every single call, which fans do. Every single call of every single game, of course there are going to be plays where we're like, that was really dumb to call that play in that moment. 
the offensive coordinator for whatever team you're talking about would probably agree. Sure. But like that's why I don't I try not to do it because we're not, I'm not in meetings. I don't know the game plan. I don't know who maybe is playing in it 95% or 90% and couldn't get to this block that they normally do and it, the play would have worked if they could, but they didn't. So this guy was able this defender was able to do this and made it look like it was a bad play call, but it was really just you know, part of the game. But like, but that's what fans do. So I understand that. But you know, you, I guess I just, you know, I, we did that enough when the offense stunk. I don't really understand doing it a lot when the offense is basically top twenty in every statistical category that matters to winning. Um, why we need to go through and act like we know something that they don't know. Well, here's the thing. I guess it's all just to say this. If Gino called the plays in 2021, like like Luke Fickle says that he did, the numbers say Gino's going to be a pretty fucking awesome offensive coordinator. Yeah. I mean, does does he get to call plays with that same team? (laughs) No, but I'm saying still, like, the numbers are the numbers. If that was his first season calling plays in college football – pretty good season yeah absolutely so don't get don't get caught up in your feelings and your need to hate mike denbrock to now like have to feel like you have well i hated denbrock so i have to be right like that's the worst thing in in sports fandom is people get so caught up like i had a bad take but that bad take's got to be right so now i gotta i gotta double down with another bad take go look at the numbers Go look at how freaking good this offense was. And if that was Geno's first season calling plays. I mean, they, they carved up every defense they played outside of Alabama. Yeah. Yep. I mean. <laughs> Were there lulls? Of course. It's college football, man. You're talking about like 18-year-old kids. Like, like they're of not just going to like. Lulls. That's why you know. That's the other one I, that made me laugh throughout the season. They just can't put sixty minutes together. Who who does? Yeah, who is who, perfect for sixty? Who minutes plays like just a great offense, defense, special team, sixty-minute football game against another team that's actually trying that hits every note that you expect it to hit when you walk into the stadium? Right, like, man. If they could have just been perfect for sixty it, minutes, it's, you know, if they had just thrown for three hundred fifty yards and rushed for two hundred yards and not let the other team score, had twelve kicked, three and outs, kicked every kickoff through the end zone, hit all their extra points right down the middle, had no third downs because they were so good on first and second down. Like, that's not a thing. Right. So you know, why are we holding a a team? And I'm not saying everybody does that, or even a small majority, but like, you just wonder, like, what. What are you expecting? Like, right. you know, yes. Do you, at moments, do you, are you like frustrated? Are they not playing clean? You know, we went through the, the part of the season with the two lane and the, and the Navy. And, and I get all that. The Tulsa, like, I understand it. Like it's frustrating to see a team that has that much talent that goes through these stretches where you're like, what, you know, these, these teams we're playing, it's not like they're doing anything crazy that should keep us from 
from blowing their doors off, but it's, it's still the nature of sports. Like, you know, you play a certain way against central Florida for a half of football where you literally play about as perfect as you can play. And then you turn around a week later and you play, you know, an ugly first half or whatever. It doesn't make any sense. So I don't, you know, I try not to like pick at it as if I'm trying to solve something that's really not solvable from that standpoint. Like, especially in this type of a season where it's hard to, as, as we've talked about so much in the past, like it's hard to separate in your mind, like winning a game and that being the only thing that matters in November and the end of October, while all these other people are out there, you know, chirping style points and they didn't look good and they're going to drop in the polls. Like, that's why I kept always saying, like, tell me where they are on December 5th and I'll tell you if I'm mad or not. <laughs> right. Because it like all those things that everyone kept talking about turned out to not matter one fucking bit. Right. And maybe they did, maybe they would have mattered if Oklahoma State had beat Baylor, but they didn't. So they didn't matter. So all that, all that consternation and all that hand wringing about not beating this team by enough and not beating this team by enough or looking like shit for the second half, it didn't matter. So we, a bunch of people just wasted their breath and mental space on stuff that doesn't matter. Fans love wasting their breath and their mental space on things that don't matter. It's a big part of part of it. I think that's a big thing too, Dave, and we haven't really hit on that aspect of it. It doesn't seem like there's anybody more comfortable than uh, Gino Gadouli with Mike Cummings, right? Like, sure. Mike Cummings gave Gino his opportunity to be a graduate assistant he was the offensive coordinator at central michigan in 2010 that's when gino started his coaching career as a grad assistant uh in his last year as offensive coordinator at central michigan in his in that stint he's been to central michigan he loves central michigan he's been there a couple times um he promoted gino to running back running backs coach like that is clearly somebody that gino has a very deep connection to and for a first-time offensive coordinator with a year of play calling under his belt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, important to bring a guy that not only, one, you are supremely comfortable with, Dave, but two, has a decade of experience as an offensive coordinator. Yeah, and I think that's, that is the thing that I'm – and I don't know if – this is something we'll have to get off the record if Gina will openly talk about it. Like, as a, oh, I'm, you know, I understand offense way more than I understand defense. Um, I'm interested in, like, are you tearing up the playbook? Are you not tearing it up but making significant changes? Are you basically using the same playbook but Obviously, your play calling style and cadence will be different, you know, than Mike Denbrock pre last year. I mean, but like, I'm interested in that kind of stuff. Like, did you, you know, obviously, when he became the play caller, he, he's going to have some of his own wrinkles in there, but they used the same playbook from the year before. That's obvious when we watch the games. Like, yeah, pretty, pretty, yeah, 
So now I think there was like, some more outside stuff, but it was predominantly inside zone. But now that you have a new offensive line coach and you are like the man now from the offensive coordinator standpoint, Mike Brown is passing game coordinator. Like I'm interested in, I would love to talk to Gino about, you know, how does your play calling philosophy differ from what we've seen just over the last few years? How is it going to change now that you have, you don't have a fifth year senior quarterback? Um, well, you kind of do still, but not one that has 40 something wins under his belt. Uh, <laughs> but like, you know, are you gutting the playbook? Are you, is that not something that you can do because you have so many new pieces? So you're going to have to keep it. Uh, I guess they don't have so many new pieces, but the most important piece could be could be brand new from a from a true snap standpoint but like you know do you do you notice different things in the spring when we when we are able to check that out like that's the type of stuff that you know i'm interested in in finding out yeah maybe maybe i'll i'll dig around and see if we can get gino to pop on the bcj podcast and talk some offense with us I don't think we're going to get him asked to answer the tough questions at this point, but maybe see if he's willing to, to come on and answer questions. Yeah. He's never, he's never been shy. No. So his predecessor, his predecessor came on. Yeah, he did. Uh, <laughs> Crypt keeper. Thanks guys. First time seeing the show. Go Bearcats. Big fan from Myrtle beach. Who day and go reds. Uh, I love me some Myrtle beach. Good spot. Good spot. Thank you for tuning are the, in. Are the, are the, with the with the Bengals and Bearcats rise, are the Reds like shifting to FC Cincinnati level? <laughs> uh, for right now, yeah. With the way that they're treating things, <laughs> uh, we answered that already, Todd. Uh, I'm excited to see the evolution of the offense as well. Uh, we still had Jimbo Fisher as offensive coordinator. <laughs> we win the Alabama game. <laughs> Love the old Rick Minner staff. Well, here was the problem with the old Rick Minner staff. Uh, it wasn't the old Rick Minner staff. It was the old Rick Minner staffs. Yeah. Because if you think if you think we experienced coaching change this year. <laughs> That's because they had good coaches that didn't have two nickels to rub together to pay them. Right. And good coaches, you mean Mike Tomlin and Jimbo Fisher and the Ryan brothers and John Harbaugh. John Harbaugh and Sam, Sam Pittman, Sam Pittman and, <laughs> and it's crazy enough. The list goes on. That's yeah. just the top of the list of the guys that came through Cincinnati and worked for Rick w- Wink, Wink Martindale. Ugh. Fuck that guy. Uh, how are you feeling about the recruitment of AJ Harris? We talked about it at the beginning of the show. What I would I'm say no, is I have no idea. The guy that recruited him isn't even technically on the staff yet. And uh, when AJ Harris is is in Clifton on campus, yeah, when he takes a visit, whether it's unofficial or official, then we'll then we'll start talking about it in in more of a serious uh, tenor. Yeah, for sure. Right now, it's a fun uh, it's a fun little thing to to think about right now. Yeah, strength of this team next year on paper is the passing game. I agree. And uh, well, I think, we'll, I think that depends on who's playing quarterback. Sure, but but still, I think with the returning offensive line and the running backs they have, it's gonna that that is very much a strength. But there's not a like there's not a bell cow. There's not a number one guy. 
to replace no, Ford. You don't like. I, I still like, think like I still they're going to be active in the transfer portal at running back. I, I don't think. think you need that in in college as much. Uh, I think with Mike Warren and Jerome Ford, the things were really good offensively. Oh, for sure, they, for sure. I mean, so guys, that, that's almost like if you got a dude running the ball is a lot easier than if you're trying to figure Absolutely. out. But I, I don't I don't think they're going to, like, all of a sudden let's not be able to run the ball. I don't either. I'm not saying they're going to be terrible. I'm just saying I would prefer to have Mike Warren or Jerome Ford. Like, I think that's where they maybe, even as good as Jerome Ford was, I think they struggled in the run game offensive line-wise more te- technically, like, in my mind, more than in the passing game, especially up the middle. And now you have an offensive line coach who clearly his run, coach, his run schemes seem to be very good. They it seems to work. <laughs> so, and I would I would hope that we have as good or better offensive linemen and running backs than Central Michigan does. Right. So I would no, hope I, that, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying <clears throat> with with Wiley and Taylor and Tyler Scott and Jaden Thompson and Trey Tucker and Will Pauling and yeah, I'm just. Uh, Tell me who's throwing them the ball, and then I'll tell you which one I think is going to be better. <laughs> That's what the fun of the spring and summer is going to be, Dave. Exactly. That's why you continue with your membership to Bearcat Journal because it doesn't just it doesn't just stop with us, you know, yeah, dominating. Our, our spring and summer reports last year, frankly, sucked. Sucked. They're boring. <laughs> boring. There's nothing to report. We actually, and I don't think we ever talked about this on the pod, but it was an on-running joke between Chad and I on the days that he didn't want to write a practice report. I told him, we'll just put one, put the same one up from like a week ago and see if anybody notices. Because it was all the same people. You know, the starters were all the same. Right. There was no. There was no variation in the two deeps. And you could have literally just put up, you know, it could have been August 17th and we could have put up August 7th practice report. And I don't think anybody would have realized that that one was from a week and a half ago. Yeah. This year, you're not going to be able to get away with that. And I'm actually going to have to watch like threes. Some. Yeah. Um, we watched them a lot more this year than we, we have know. in the past. Well, for sure. Cause it was like, okay, these, like we know these guys aren't this year. But they're next year. Like their yeah. time is coming quick. That that whole portion of the the two deep, half of the two deep was leaving. So the threes are going to become at worst the twos. Yeah, a lot of them maybe ones. Right, I'm saying at worst the yeah. twos. Um, we were going to kind of do a offense defense preview here, but Dave, we're already an hour and fifteen minutes into this podcast. Yep. We sure are. So let's do that next week. Because <laughs> I know once we get talking, once we start breaking down position by position. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not like we're just going to list some names and then move on. Right. That's going to be an hour at least. Uh, us kind of talking through the offense and defense. Uh, so l- let's move that to next week. And uh, I don't know. You want to. Let's say recruiting. Aaron, timestamp, one hour, 37 minutes, 39 seconds, okay? 
one uh, zero or like four minutes in was the first timestamp, uh, but put it at zero, zero point zero zero football. Yeah, that's not happening. No, it is. I'm I'm ordering you as your boss to do this. We're really gonna do timestamps. Uh, I we're going to do like three timestamps: football, recruiting, basketball. If they want timestamps, I'll give them timestamps. They overwhelmingly want timestamps. I think I'm five a man people of the want timestamps. No, there's a bunch of people that that that. Are, what are you? Are you being insubordinate, Aaron? They, they should bandy a leader who who does the timestamps for the rest what of the. What are them, you even talking about? Like, we're my my screen says live like one hour eight minutes and thirty seconds. Yeah, and you just said like one thirty six something. No, I said one oh seven thirty six. Oh, I meant to say one oh seven. Aaron, maybe zero 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 football. Maybe I should put the timestamps on the YouTube so they have to go to the YouTube. Okay. <laughs> uh, one minute, eight, uh, one hour, eight minutes, 54 seconds recruiting. All right. And then when we do basketball, we'll, we'll call out the timestamp there too. So everybody has time, you know, to, to get to the right spot. Also brought to you by Homefield, whose Cincinnati Bearcats collection launches Saturday, the 22nd. At noon. So make sure you're there for that. There you go. We got our shirts today. Aaron didn't get his shirt today because he's in Athens and he had me send his shirt downtown. Probably should have had me send that shirt to Athens. It's fine. Unless somebody snatches it off of your, your, your front doorstep. Is that possible? You think people will do that? Uh, no, I got a, an email saying that there was a package for me to come pick up from the office, so we're good. Okay. Uh, <laughs> zero to 108 football. <laughs> you got to go through the mentions on YouTube to get the timestamps. <laughs> Those timestamps brought to you by the Holy Grail. <laughs> if you want to sponsor the timestamps, I'll do it, damn it. I'll do it. You got a business and you want to sponsor the timestamps? Uh, I'm in. I am absolutely in. Uh, my DMs are open. <laughs> you can hit me on Bearcat Journal. Uh, private messaging. Uh, I love it. Um, Crypt Keeper, don't go anywhere. We're not. We we're still we're still cruising, man. We got a lot of a lot of a lot of ways to go here. Aaron. Sometimes sometimes we just bring the show to you. The the right. the, the, the pre production show <laughs> as it's happening. You're welcome. Bye, Aaron. I'm out. Uh, all right. Jackson McGowan, tight end, commit 2023 from Miamisburg. Um, you have knowledge of Jackson McGowan, Dave, so I mean, please I've, share. I saw him watch, like, I saw him play, like, a half of football. I had Will with That's us. That's more knowledge than I have. I'm not saying you're, like, an expert on it. That was just a timestamp, Crypt Keeper. This is becoming a thing. Uh, that I'm relentlessly going to mock going forward. No, I, I would just say I've known of him because, you know, my close friend is a coach at Springboro, so they play each other. Um, and he's also, like, he's a big Ohio State fan. He's into the recruiting. So, like, we talk about guys that he's familiar with when you see offers and they kind of get, like, some – uh, you know, 
little bit of inside info on, you know, I always just say, like, can this kid play at UC? And he'll tell right. me yes or no. Um, but he, he he said they thought he was the best player on, on Miamisburg's team. And that's obviously with current UC commit AJ Sally. And uh, I don't know how much of a target he is, but he has a UC offer running back. Uh, Christian Davis, I think, is his. I know Davis is his last. Is he twenty twenty four? Is he twenty three? Who the running back? Davis. Yeah. No, he's twenty three. Also. Okay. I thought there was a twenty four guy. I remember from Miamisburg that camped with all those guys. There could be. I don't, I'm. I'm just not sure. Because um, he's got UC, West Virginia, Tennessee. Um, he got the offers before the other guys too. Like he kind yeah. of was getting those offers. Prior to Sally and uh, Jackson, but I mean, he's as we've a lot of a lot of content on the board about him. Like, I just think his biggest attribute right now, going into his senior years, he's just, he's got really good hands. He can catch um, the football. Yeah. Is he a is he a t- tight end? Is he a big receiver? I don't know. I think talking like trying to decipher that right now is kind of pointless i mean he as his high school coach said he plays three sports so i'm sure he's one of those kids that is constantly doing something so like how much weight can he really put on in in a a high school athletic career when you're not you know you're going from football right into basketball you're not going from football into off-season weight training for the next football season. And I don't even know what the third sport is he plays. I don't know if it's baseball. I don't know if it's track. Um, One of the two, I would guess. Yeah. But I just look at it from a a frame standpoint. I mean, he's already 6'4", 6'5". He's got – clearly has some level athletic ability. I mean, he's a, a power player on their basketball team, you know, so, you know that they like – you know how Luke is with multi-sport athletes to right. begin with. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I just think it's another target, you know, offensive weapon type player. And you just kind of see how how he develops. And, you know, does he retain his speed when he – eventually adds a bunch of weight does he grow anymore does he grow a lot more like i don't it's so hard with these with these kids now to try to like this far out what do they look like four years from now right i mean he's like he might i mean i don't even know how i mean he might be super young like he could be 16 years old right i mean i don't i don't know i mean he's gonna be a senior but like he could be a super young junior we, we have no idea. We're he not reporting that he is. We're saying he could be. Right. I'm just saying, like, we don't – that's not information that I'm aware of. I mean, the coaches right. know those things. but So, like, trying to say he's this, he's that, I don't know. I've seen him play football. He catches the ball really well. He's, a, he's clearly a focal point in their offense. So, he's clearly a focal point for the opponents. Um, and he still had a very productive season on a team that has – uh, high level division one running back. So it wasn't like he was the only option for them. Right. And 
I'm, I'll be interested to see, like, does he continue to play three sports? Does he take this down to football now so he is more physically prepared to come in when he does as a freshman? Does he cut one sport and just play two? Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because then he can, you know. That's the other thing, too, is, like, <clears throat> when you play three sports, like, even your summertime right. is is used to, for something. I mean, you're literally never, almost never just like not doing anything or focusing on one sport for any extended period of time. Right. So, but I, you know, I'm, I'm mostly just encouraged from the fact that like people that coach against him thought that he was a problem and, and was their best player. What he becomes in, you know, four or five years. Who knows? I, yeah, I'm, I don't even want to, I'm not even going to try to guess. So somebody brought this up on the board, and I think it's a, it's a quality question. So I'll ask you. The last recruited tight end that was brought in, the, the, the scouting report was like, this dude is a high-end catcher of the football, was Josiah DeGuara. Yeah. He's quite a bit bigger than, like, taller than Josie, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's – Josiah's, like – he's Six probably – Maybe. <laughs> maybe? Yeah. Maybe. And this is a legit – you're saying a legit 6'4 on this kid. I mean, maybe we list him at 6'4. His coach told Mick 6'5 in the article. So let's just say they're both lying and he's 6'3. Right. As a, as a maybe 17-year-old. Right. Pretty good. Well, yeah. I mean, not every. It's not Wiley. It's well, not no, but not. Six, I mean, but... Wiley also had offers from Oregon, Ohio State. And, you know, <laughs> right. Not every not every kid is 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 like that. Um, right. So, you know, you need just as much as you like to have. You know, a Josh Wiley. I don't think anybody would think twice if we were like Jackson McGowan is going to have the same career Josiah Degar had. Right. Like, not every kid is Wiley, Lenny Taylor, Shimon Mateer. Like, and I don't think you want that in every tight end. Like, you want – if you're going to be an offensive line running style team, like – and I don't think I don't think Jackson will be this guy either, but, like, you want inline tight end. You want a K tight end. You want kind of a tight end that you can do – all sorts of a stuff. A little of both, right. So, you know, and I don't think this means I don't think this means they're done at tight end with this class either. If if they don't add like a long term, whether they find somebody in twenty twenty two late or they add a young or a transfer. tight end transfer, my guess is there's room for two tight ends in twenty twenty two. Or twenty twenty three, sorry. I think there's room for two no matter what else they come across. Well, but I mean, if you add like a redshirt freshman tight end that's got three, four years of eligibility left, that kind of solves like you added your 2022 guy and, you know, you can go forward with if you only take one in 2023, you're okay. Uh, I mean, I guess, but like. I'm saying you wouldn't be desperate to add two. No, that, you wouldn't be desperate, but I'd st- – I'd- 
I'd still be looking. If they don't add a 2022 guy, they desperately need two right. in 2023 is yeah. what I'm saying. Yes, I would agree with that. I'm just – like I was just saying, like even if you did, it's not something I would totally cross – I wouldn't cross it off my board at all. No. I'm just talking about like the – if if we don't see another t- tight end added via like transfer before, or high school in 2022, yeah, you're going to have the, to get – Yeah, for the 2022 season, if there's not another one on the roster – then absolutely. <coughs> oh, that's kind of that's that's talking recruiting. We, we've talked AJ Harris a ton. We've talked the staff being out on the road and firing out four star and uh, five star <laughs> offers with with Harris. Um, well, that's the thing too. Is like I am, you know. I like the recruiting. I follow the recruiting every year. I get, I feel a little bit more and more weird that I'm like 40 years old and like picking up on these dudes on Twitter. <laughs> but sure. But I am also this year, everything, you know, everything seems to always fall back on the playoff in the Big 12. Like I'm interested in like what kind of dudes show up at camps this summer coming off of a playoff and going into the big 12. Does it look different? Right. Right. Like when we get the list, when we show up each day, like, are we like, damn, it's like, there's some, like, dude. Like, there's some things right. that like came out of their way to go like, yeah, I need to go camp at UC. Right. Not just like my bus tour came through and I happened to be the one really good player of 60 kids that are here. <laughs> And last year I thought was really quiet on the camp front because I thought they had, for the most part, they had their their blueprint for their 2022 class pretty much already, like the footprint was laid by June. Yeah, I mean, the really, I mean, I'm sure this isn't the only one, but like Ken Willis is the only one that comes to mind that like, legitimately came to camp and earned a committable offer. Uh I think Luke Dalton fit that mold. Okay. Um I think there was one other. Now remember they they also had kind of these like sneaky camps that they didn't really tell anybody about that yeah. the NCAA changed their rules this year and you were allowed to have kind of like private camps. Yeah. Um that weren't open to the public. So I'm sure that'll be a little bit more of a uh a factor as well going forward, but yeah, I'm excited to get like, once we get to June and figure out like, let's see what this town. And I also don't think they're in a hurry to fill up this class pre summer. Well, I mean, 2023 class. Yeah, sure. But like what they've already got five, five. That's not, I mean, that's, no, but for for January, that's that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, but I don't. Yeah, I guess so. I just, I guess I don't know. Maybe I. But we'll see. Also, we'll see what comes of these junior days too. Like, or it could end up being, you know, I guess it's kind of silly to even like look at it that way right now because. It always seems to in the springtime they get a bunch. 
Yeah. And then the summer is slow from a commitment standpoint. And then they get a few. Like, well, I guess what we, what I've noticed is, and I could be totally wrong on this. We could easily go back and look at the commitment dates and whatnot, but it always feels like, like um, April, May, like March, April, well, May commits, dudes camp, a couple more. You really don't see a lot of commits during the season anymore. No, it's it's generally done by then. But he, here's the thing I would I would I would point to, right? So Jackson McGowan is the 22nd rated player in Ohio by 247. He and Jason Hewitt, Hewlett have both been rated by 247. They don't have a composite yet, so we're waiting on that. But Trevor Carter, sixth in the state. AJ Sally, 10th. According to 24-7, Jason Hewlett, 11th. Evan Tengestall, 17th. Jackson McGowan, 22nd. In the not-so-distant past, getting a top 25 prospect in the state of Ohio was like, whoa, right? Getting one, maybe two. They have five, and it's January 19th. That's insane. And and remember, their national rank right now is, is really good. Their average rating, 87.07. They haven't ventured. Like, th- these are just the Ohio kids right. that they're getting. So... You have to be kind of blown away by the way this has played out so far. Well, and also, hold on, I'm also trying to pull something up here. Like, if you, since they are all Ohio, this is easy to look at. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. Number four, number five, number seven. Uh, number 11, number 14, kind of, number yeah. 16 are all guys that they are very much recruiting. Deeply involved in, right. From a composite stamp. That was the composite list. And yeah, we, that, like that's, t- yeah. If we use the 247 list and go down even further, 16 has an offer. Uh, 24, I think, has an offer, and 25 has interest. So, like, they're still recruiting a good 7 to 10 of the top 25 that they would probably take. And, And this is what we've always talked about about Ohio, right? Go get the top 25 guys that, that Ohio State, you know, doesn't land. And and put your stamp on, hey, Michigan, hey, Michigan State, hey, Wisconsin, hey, Penn State, hey, Boston College. Like, if you think you're coming in 
to get the top 25 players in Ohio, you're not only going to have to come in and beat Ohio State. You're going to have to come in, and now Cincinnati is right there taking that next group well, of kids. The, the two most important things outside of UC's control that need to continue to happen is, one, Jim Harbaugh stays at Michigan because for whatever reason they've decided to not recruit Ohio. Sure. And what Ryan Day has done at Ohio State, revamping that staff, they're going to continue recruiting nationally. Yeah. They're not – I mean, they're always going to recruit Ohio, but they are definitely recruiting nationally and have been since Urban Meyer got there. Away from the trestle, like, you know, mainly recruit Ohio. Like, they're going to get the Ohio kids, obviously, but they're – They're going to get the ones they want. They're they're just going to. So, Jim Harbaugh staying at Michigan and – you know, I'll just throw a name out there. Matt Campbell not coming into Michigan. Right. <laughs> Matt would, Campbell at Michigan would be a problem. It would hurt. And no doubt about it. Because, I mean, he already recruits Iowa, Ohio from Iowa State. Now, he's not getting the kids that he did Early. three, four years ago from Ohio. Before Cincinnati was a factor. Because exactly. if you look at these kids committing, they all have Iowa but, State offers. But he's gonna, if he goes there, he's going to go back into Michigan and go, we can go get these kids now that UC's getting. Right. Because Michigan's not recruiting Ohio anymore. So those are the two things like out of UC's control that need to continue to happen to get to be able to get some of the best players in the state. Um, but I'll be interested to see, like, they're obviously making a big effort in Florida today. I mean, they're not going to ever not. But, like, Kerry recruits Florida and Georgia very hard, um, you know, Mike Brown is down in there, in the South right now. Gino does some work in South Georgia, um, so I don't think those those things aren't go- those elements aren't going away anytime soon. Right. Um. So we'll see. Uh, if it all comes down to the run game for 2022, who will be transferring after spring games? Tony. How the hell do I know that? (laughs) There will be a lot of disgruntled running backs who don't like where they are. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. That's for them to figure out. Yeah, I just don't know which ones it's going to (laughs) be. My crystal ball does not indicate who's getting uh, first and second team snaps. Look, I will tell you this. Here's what I can tell you on that front, Tony. There was a lot of background chatter about running backs across the country that didn't enter the transfer portal. And they aren't the names that a lot of people are thinking of. Or at least haven't to this date. Right. What I can say is you are absolutely correct. That spring ball is there's going to be a, a, pretty good chance that there's some running backs available in the spring. We'll see who they are. And the names I'm tracking aren't just the ones you're thinking, the two you're thinking of off the top of your head. And I know the two you're thinking of. Because it's the two everybody thinks of. But I will (laughs) tell you this. There are a lot of running backs around the country that are very uh, aware of the fact that Jerome Ford is in the draft and the last three Cincinnati running backs were Mike Warren, Jared Dokes, Jerome Ford. 
coming and playing in this offense is very attractive for if guys I, to play if running I back. I bet you five dollars that they would that another running back for the 2022 season would be added. Would you would you would you put that five dollars on yes or no? Yes. That yes, there will be another running back added at some point before the 2022 season. Uh, based on the belief of what I just said, that it's going to be uh, an active running back market in the spring, I would vote yes. Yeah. Now, do some of those running backs win the job at their respective schools? Do some of those running backs like get to a position where they're like splitting carries and they're 1A, 1B? And they don't transfer. Is that possible? Yes. Yeah, law of averages says yes. But I think there's a chance we see a good deal of running backs on the market, and Cincinnati is a place where running backs uh, would obviously be attracted to play because they run the ball a lot. Like, look, remember, we are in a pass happy college football world, and Cincinnati is one of the places that runs the football a lot. And they're dedicated to it. And they just hired an offensive line coach. That was the offensive coordinator for the number one rushing attack in the country. On top of the reputation of being a place that is very running back friendly. So I think they will continue to be active in the running back market. Uh, that's about all I got on the recruiting front. Yeah. Aaron. One timestamp time it. One hour, 34 minutes basketball. One hour, 34 minutes basketball. And then one hour, 35 minutes Bengals. <laughs> Come on, Dave. You have I'm, to be happy with the direction I'm, of this basketball I'm team kidding. right now. I was just going to say, like, do I need to walk back my comment last week about this league is fucking terrible and there's no way they're getting more than one bid? Or, Well, right now it, it's starting to look like if they get two bids. It could be UC. It's, it's Cincinnati. Because, look, I, I talked about this a little bit this week with Mike DeCourcy. Cincinnati has a whale. They have oh, a whale. Yeah. Yeah, they have no a what neutral happened, site win the year, over they, Illinois. They got the Illinois win. That, that's going to be – see, that's the thing is, like, when you're parsing, you know, dog shit versus cow shit, having that win is something that not a lot of teams in their, you know, similar silo is going to have. Non-conference neutral site win over a, a, a number 10 or top 10 net team. Like, yeah, how many teams fighting for spots in the playing games in Dayton are going to have that win under their belt? Right. I, I, I just, it's, it's. Now, I also laugh. They have a lot of work to do. I, right. Because I also laughed on the, on the BBB. I don't know if it was last week or this week when I think Aaron talked about them winning out. Yeah, easy, Tiger. <laughs> we have not seen that level of consistency from this team yet. This is still the same team that lost at home to Monmouth. Yeah. I sure did. And 
listen, <laughs> it's, it's it's a matter of time. Have a little hope. No, but I mean, like, so they've got what twelve regular seasons games left? Yes, I think I think eight and four is a fair mark. Do you agree? Yeah, I, uh, yeah. If you're gonna want a shot to make the tournament, you and I'm just, you I'm better just get to nine and three. I'm, right? I'm, I'm just throwing that out there blindly without like looking at the schedule and saying, okay. Well, you've you got, got Memphis, you got Houston. You might have a second Houston game. Uh, they ain't rescheduling that. Houston is not going to take the chance that they lose to UC at home. Right. No, especially with the the way that their roster is right now. Right. Like they're not going to voluntarily be like, yeah, let's play the second best team in the league when we don't have any of our good players. Yeah. So like, say, say you say eight and four, nine and three again, then you have to, then you have to go, well, okay, who are the three losses against? Are they against the, the better crappy teams, or are they against the crappy crappy teams? Right, and that that is what I always come back to as the sticking point is outside of Houston, nothing that they do from a win from a win standpoint does anything except add a number in the counting stat. Sure, and that is the problem. Like, and that's the problem with the league. Like. There is no opportunity, like an Oregon, for instance, who goes from not even in the field bracketology-wise in one weekend is in the field because they beat UCLA and USC. Like, we don't have those opportunities. So you can we can say, you know, win this many games, win that many games. Do any of those games matter? you know, in the grand scheme of things is the problem. Right. Because those teams that we beat, it's not like we're going to be their only loss the rest of the year. Like they're they're going to pile on additional losses as well. So (laughs) it's, it's just kind of, you know, it makes it that much more difficult. Now I don't, it's not something from a national perspective that I have given one second of thought to. So I have no idea like who else is good. Are there a bunch of other teams in the same boat as us? I guess the only thing you hope for is that you don't lose to any of the truly dog shit teams. Right. You beat the better ones. And you at least make it to the finals of the conference tournament and give at least give yourself a puncher's chance to be an at-large. Make them say you don't belong, even with the Illinois win. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. You can't be going into the conference tournament where you know 100% we have to win this thing to get in. You're probably, regardless of situation, like based on where things are, sure. you, I mean, you're probably going to know we got to play to the finals. Yeah, because if, if we play to the finals, three or four more games from a resume standpoint, those are all probably like either just very nondescript losses or bad losses. I mean, because right. look at who we're playing. Like outside of Houston, there's no good loss on the schedule the rest of the way. <laughs> right. So it's not like you can be like, 
yeah, they went on the road and lost to Purdue by four. Like, yes, they lost, but man, they, you know, great game, whatever. Like, right. There are no, there are none of those. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's interesting though, man. It's kind of like if you're charting the start of the West Miller era, all of a sudden you're looking and going, I kind of like what I'm watching. Well, and that's but, the thing is like you are, you're at least, you can at least hang your hat on individual improvement, team improvement, and just the enjoyable fact of like, they're just playing better slash good basketball. And being the second or third best team in this league is not anything to brag, <laughs> right? to brag about. But in a year that we really weren't sure what was going to happen, being the second or third best team, and yes, they were 0-4 in the league, but going on the road and beating Wichita State, you know, going on the road and playing the way you did against Memphis. Those are things to be encouraged about. Like, it sure as shit beats the alternative and beats, you know, what, you know, what we thought could happen in certain situations because we know the limitations of this roster. Here's what I'll say is has impressed me the most. And this is probably the basketball nerd in me, right? Uh, he makes the, the right adjustment lineup-wise, case in point, Koval last game. It, it was a brilliant move. Uh, it was a brilliant move in large part because Hayden hit shots. <laughs> As Aaron and I talked about on the nightcap, if, if he goes one for four instead of three for four, everybody's like, why the hell was he in the game? Uh, so that's on Hayden as much as it's on Wes. Um, but here's here's what's encouraging to me, Dave. So they open the season as an unknown, right? Yeah. And they go through those first five games. They get to to Kansas City. They beat Illinois. They almost take down Arkansas. Um, and then we talked a lot about now the tape is out, right? Now teams are watching tape of what a West Miller Cincinnati team looks like. And they're adjusting. And it was able for, what, three, four weeks to kind of cripple this team. Because it got out, like, who they were, what you had to do to stop them. What their identity was. What, you know, what it was about to take them out of what they wanted to do. And now, there's the adjusting to the adjustment. And... Cincinnati has been able to uh, to overcome that because that's for me that's what a good like that's the sign of a good coach is you are who you are it's on tape they figure it out and then you counter with new stuff right and you you say okay this is what you're going to take away now we're going to do this this is like it's the chess match that is you know a full season of college basketball and the evidence as it stands looks pretty damn good. Now, that's not to say that we get to February and, you know, teams adjust again. But the reality is this is a coach 
that looks like he, he's got the pulse of his team for me. Like, I think that's important, right? Because they're listening. The scouting reports are being adhered to. They're they're doing, for the most part, there have been a couple bumps where we've looked at him and gone. And I think that's what's interesting too, Dave. It has been very clear, very noticeable when they're not doing what is being asked of them. <laughs> right? Well, that's when, that's when you, when you have talent deficiencies at certain yeah. areas of the game, it makes those glaring when, when they're not doing what you need to do in order to be competitive or to win. Right. But for the most part, this team looks like a team that's connected with their coach. They're accomplishing what they were taught in practice. <laughs> what are you laughing at? Just Hitch offered a kid, so now I'm just scrolling through Twitter and someone <laughs> retweeted a BBC article that says, in Japan, there are clubs where you pay to have someone make you cry. And the retweet was, in Ohio, they call this club FC Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, so, no, I, I'm, I'm encouraged with where things are. We didn't know, and and there's been a lot of we've adjusted our like what we think our uh, expectations are multiple times, and I think the the biggest thing like when you look at like what does it mean that Cincinnati's number two in the net in the conference, it reinforces more than anything. Oh boy, this conference stinks out loud. Yeah, like. Because number number two in the net is like barely in the top sixty. Yeah, fifty eight or whatever it is. That's where they. I think that's where they were the last time I looked. Like Not, your, your your second best team is like fringe. Like if you just yeah. took seated them one through sixty four, like fringe <laughs> in the tournament, right? Not counting the thirty two automatic qualifiers, right? God, I can't wait to get out of this league. Although I will say, watching some of the Big Twelve, uh... <laughs> yeah, we we, could, we would uh... not. This team would not be second in the Big Twelve hierarchy right now. Well, yeah, that was like I think Todd asked earlier about joining by twenty twenty three. I'm like, well, which sport? <laughs> which sport? Football, you... probably good. Which sport do you want to get in there quick on? Basketball. We're gonna find out how good Wes Miller is uh, in. It, look, it, what are the odds? I mean, I, it can't be I'll, worse than when when Mick had to go through sure. the the Big East at the beginning of that. So, here's the question: What are the odds you see we'll be playing in the Big Twelve for the 2023 season? I would say 58.7 percent. I would say strong to quite strong. You would go what 72.4 percent? Uh, 99.9. Yeah. Okay. I'll leave You're myself allowed. a a one. out it's going to be interesting like how hard does the big 12 push for it i think is like what matters most i still think it's it's hilarious that everyone keeps saying texas and oklahoma are going to fulfill their five more years or four more years of (laughs) like okay but hey i hope they do Sure. Because then I can then I can definitively say that UC is a better football program than Texas. Definitively a better football program than Texas. 
Uh, we need to get Berg on here soon. We haven't heard from Berg in a while. No, uh, let's talk some Pre- basketball. Preseason, right? I mean, yeah, I, he's kind of. I know he's been busy. I know there's a lot going on, so um, we need to we need to get him in here soon for for some basketball. But the problem is, we just had too much football to talk, and you know, everybody's complaining that we're, now we do too much content at Bearcat Journal. They just they just can't keep up. Who who's complaining about that? Oh, there's a whole thread about what that we do too much content and we have to do timestamps. Well, hey, you not able. You can go to like BearcatReport.com because they sure as shit don't do too much content. <laughs> somebody, somebody suggested today. We should just shut it down for a week and see what they not think. Not do anything. Yeah, not do anything for a week. Uh, which like, program would you want to play at Nipper if you could only choose one, OU or UT? Definitely Texas. Texas, for sure, yeah. OU's, OU's a very – their fan base is extremely nice. Like, their program has been good. They have made the college football playoff. I want to have Texas come to Nipper, dog walk their ass, so that I can just go, is Texas back? <laughs> no, <laughs> there has to be is an is Texas back Twitter feed, right? I don't know. I mean, they there claimed to be back to be. after they beat Georgia in a meaningless Sugar Bowl, and then turned around and fired their coach the next year. So, <laughs> yeah, they didn't invite Cunningham to Vegas to talk fourteen team scheduling for no reason. Of course, I'm not. Look, I'm just saying, I'm not. I'm not putting it at ninety nine point nine percent like Dave yet. I think I mean, well, it's. I think this summer we'll start to hear. I mean, clearly there's rumblings. You know, that article came out from Dennis Dodd. Like, they're clearly getting, you know, ducks in a row. But I don't know when they're going to, like, I don't know if they'll have, like, an official announcement anytime soon because I still don't believe that, like, the Texas and Oklahoma thing is is what they're saying. Because, you know, in that article they talked about, Splitting up in the divisions, having Texas and Oklahoma on opposite sides, so that when they do leave, that it doesn't they don't need to change anything. Um, but I'm still just like, how are you recruiting to a conference that like you're not really in anymore? Like, how are you right. getting elite level players? Well, they're recruiting that, to the SEC. Yeah, but but they're not but. They're not going to be in the SEC, according to them, until like 2025. So they're really right. not recruiting these guys to the SEC. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, 134 to 148 hoops. Good, got, good job, Aaron. 14 minutes out of me. I feel like good I work. contributed there. You did. You did. And we'll have more as the season goes on. And we'll try to get Berg in here uh, when the football slows down. But the football, has not, the football has refused to slow down. The other thing too is that I was I was actually able to like watch the, the Wichita State game. Wichita State game, and you were like, "Oh, I kind of like watching this team." The, well, I was able to watch the majority of it, and then I uh, didn't watch the end because then they were winning. So I figured I would just be a little stitious <laughs> and, and not turn it on. But uh, but I knew that they would win because I mean they always win there and own those sons of guns 
And you you loved nothing more than talking shit to I, your your Wichita State friend. Yeah, because like, and I, I you know I I don't have the time or really the care to really dig back, but I I feel like I'm not misremembering this. There was a large large segment of the Shocker fan base that felt they were just going to walk their asses into the mighty American and just start be kicking, be daddy. Kick, they were going to be daddy kicking ass like they did in the uh, MVC. And it, it hasn't quite worked out that way for them. That, they're so weird to me because they've got a crap ton of talent, but they, I think they just keep getting in those tight game situations. And shockingly, you've got the, the reigning conference player of the year. That's not able to close. It's not a great place to be. Um, I'll let you hear where we've got seven and a half minutes before we hit two hours. So your willingness to hit two hours depends on how long you want to talk about the Bengals. I mean, yeah, you were what? You were nine the last time they won a playoff uh, game? No, I would have been what January of 91. I was born in October of 81. So, yeah, 9, 10, something like that. Young enough to not remember. <laughs> so You don't remember? No, 9 or 10? I, I don't remember. I don't think I was – see, here's the thing, too. I wasn't a Bengals fan as a, as a really young kid. I was a Bills fan because my dad was from Rochester, New York, went to Bills games growing up, and then – the Bills were like the greatest thing ever when I was a kid because that was like the K-Gun offense, Jim Kelly, Andre Reed, Thurman Thomas, Kenneth Davis, like Bruce Smith, Daryl Talley, Cornelius Bennett. So we like me and all my friends – because the Bengals sucked too. Like the 90s, the lost decade. Like so we were all like Bills fans. All of us kids were <laughs> – Right. You know, Gene Dad was a Bills fan, so – but yeah, so like I didn't really become a real like diehard Bengals fan until, you know, like junior high, high schoolish age. I still remember my first, when I first started playing fantasy football, my Yahoo login was Bengals suck 99. Like, <laughs> 1999. Um, but no, I mean, it was. I was there. It was awesome. Like I was, you know, I don't know. I was just like total, not stunned. Cause I thought, I mean, I thought they would win the whole time, but just like almost, almost like when you see made it to the college football playoff, like you almost don't know how to react. How were you reacting when the Raiders were marching down the field? I wasn't, I wasn't like losing my mind, but I also wasn't like, you know, there's Calm. no no problem. <laughs> right. No, no problem. I think when when they had the uh, very questionable roughing the passer penalty, I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Like, here we first, go. The first play of the drive is right. a 30, 30 yard play or whatever. Um, but then I also remembered that like Derek Carr is still their quarterback and he's just kind of okay. But they had like six walk off wins this year. Oh, they did. I mean, that they had plenty of of games where they came back and 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 got it done in the end. But 
<clears throat> they also don't have uh, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on their team. So <laughs> you took exception to me saying Paul Daner Jr. was out in front of the the Joe I did. Burrow I did take revolution. To that because anybody that's listened to me talk about the Bengals for any amount of time knows that I was on the Joe Burrow train much, much before anyone else that I know and anyone else in this city. Um, I had already started to get on the train uh, at the end of his junior year uh-huh. and then uh, was fully on board after the Texas game. His senior year. While other people were Which talking was... about out of conference like before even like october oh yeah while other people were still talking about drafting chase young yeah um, i was one of those but oh i'm not i'm not singling you out there were plenty of them no i'm okay with i'm okay with owning up what i said i was one of those but yeah so i will be uh driving down to nashville saturday morning are you going i'm going by myself <laughs> oh wow so you, yep. you bought one ticket, I bought leaving one the ticket. wife and kid at home, and I'm going to the damn game. That's right. I mean, I have I, I have lots of friends in Nashville. Sure. So I'm going sure. to the game with them because they are Titan season ticket holders, but I am sitting by myself. Uh, it was very funny. My dad, who's <clears throat> like been a Bengal season ticket holder for as long as I've been alive, asked all of the guys that he goes to the game with if any of them wanted to go. Didn't ask me. <laughs> none of what them. The hell? None of them wanted to go to the game. So I asked him, "I'm going. Do you want to go?" And he said, "No." I'm like, "I'm like, is this me? Or did you?" I not- don't think your dad likes you. I was like, "Or did you actually? Did he actually like not want any of them to say yes?" So it was like an, ex- <laughs> an excuse for him to not go. Like he felt obligated to ask. If right. They were gonna if anyone else wanted to go, and he only would have gone if if someone else said yes. Like I don't know, but I kind of took it a little personal. But you know, it will not detract from the fun that I will have. Dave, I don't know that your dad likes you. He might. He, I mean, caused him a lot of issues over the years. So he, <laughs> he, might, he might not. <clears throat> you know, financial and otherwise, but. Well, I, you know, my dad doesn't like going to games with me. He likes going to games with Kelsey. Like, and I just drive him there. Yeah. And then he goes to the game with Kelsey. I work. Oh, here. And, oh. Then, and then we meet up afterwards. I do have to, you know, I do have to give him some credit, though. Like, he, he, uh, I think we, we talked before the game. I was like, so when they win, I'm going to come back to the tailgate and let's, let's celebrate. And he, he's like, uh, no, I don't like you. No, no. We Rachel, Rachel and I walked all the way to their tailgate lot after the game, and they were like already in the car, leaving. I was like, I was like what's going on here? And I could tell, <laughs> could tell in his eyes, he did not want to leave. Oh, he, your mom wanted was, to go. He was. It was the. It was the rest of the group. I guess had had enough. But time uh, to call an Uber. Get the fuck out. Could have just stayed at my house. Right. Yeah, so, no, I will be going solo. I think there will be a lot of Bengals fans there. Um, 
since we now do Bengals content on the site, give me a brief breakdown of Bengals Titans. Um, we have the better quarterback. Yes. And I, I don't know. I, I don't know if this is just like false. You know, you, it's very funny. My, I have two like really close friends that are also huge Bengal fans. And so we, before the playoffs even started, like we were like talking about scenarios and this, that, and the other. And I said something to the effect of, it's pretty funny that we're talking about this, given that we haven't won a playoff game in 31 years. Like we're already right. like, but I, but I don't know. It's like, is it just the Joe Burrow effect? We're like, he can just say things like, yeah, I didn't, re- you know, this is just the cake. This is the icing on the cake. Like this is the standard now. And I don't think he was saying like. What a great quote that was. This, isn't, know, the, the, this isn't the icing on the cake. This is the cake. Yeah, this what is a like fucking great quote. This that is one. what like, is expected. And I don't think he meant like winning. No, no, no. But like, like, winning, I, like, I fucking love that quote. Right. Like this, you know, this is, I think he said something in yesterday's media. That was like the, the, the cake comment was the post game. Right after like, the yet, game. Right. Yesterday he said something about like, this is the standard, you know, I know that the getting to the playoffs and winning is, is like what we do now. Yeah. And like I that. think. I just think he means, and I don't think he means like that we're going to like go far all the time because that's, that's not even like, you can't right. foresee that. Right. I think he just means like, we're going to be in the mix. Right. And that's the thing with him. Like <clears throat> as long as he's upright and playing at a high level, like they're always going to be in the mix. Now they'll have good years and bad years on a, on a sliding scale. They'll have years when everybody gets hurt. They'll have yeah, years I mean, when everybody stays relatively healthy. Exactly. Right. Um, but I'm interested to see like how much, and I'm assuming a lot, but how much Derrick Henry plays. Um, you know, the, the Titans have some goofy-ass losses this year. They will turn the ball over. They have, like, five games this year. They've turned it over at least three times. Right. Uh, you know, Todd mentions depth on the D-line 100%. Like, it seems like it's going to be better even with – Right now it's only Joby because and Mike Hendrickson Daniels, was yeah. cleared today, Hendrick, right? Like, well, he practiced back. in full. Right. So as long as he wakes up tomorrow and doesn't have like a ringing headache, he'll come. He'll, he'll likely come off the right concussion list. So it's just Ogunjobi and Mike Daniels that are. Yeah, but they might get Tupa back for some limited snaps. I don't. Right. I just look like <clears throat> everybody knows what the Bengals' offensive line is. It's not great. It's not like atrocious. They've been able to work around it. They haven't run the ball very well the last six games or so because they um, let Joe cook. Well, but even so, like they didn't, you know, they ran the ball well against the Raiders the first time and not so much on Saturday, but like if he's, if I'll just keep coming back to it. Like they haven't turned the ball over in five games. If they don't turn the ball over yeah, with the way that the offense is like, they did not have a very good offensive game. Saturday night and still still scored 26 points. They didn't finish at all. No, they were awful in the red zone against a team that is terrible in red zone. It's defense. like the worst red zone defense in the NFL. 
So, like, if they don't turn the ball over, the Titans aren't stopping them. So, the question becomes, how do they do against the run? Do they give their do, – does the defense do good enough against the run to give the offense enough possession? Because if the Titans are – the Titans will stick with the run. No matter the, what. Till the bitter end. Like, they can right. be down in the third, fourth quarter and be like, nope, we're going to stick with it because Henry's about to break one. So, can they contain the run game enough and the boot game? Like, Tannehill really only does two things. They run play action off their run, and they boot him. So, can they contain the boot game, slow the run down enough to give themselves enough possessions to score, you know, in the mid to upper 20s? If they do that, I think they can win. Because they're just, I mean, the offense, Joe's making all the right decisions right now. Tennessee's what, 25th against the pass? They're they're fine. Like, they do a pretty good job of getting pressure, but like. But they're Jeffrey, bottom of the league against the pass and, and yards allowed. Simmons, Jeffrey Simmons is a problem up the middle. Um, but like, they don't have a Max Crosby. Right. Um, Jonah Williams just totally dominated uh, Unique and Gakwe. Like, there's some video on Twitter that is just it's embarrassing, like how bad he whipped his ass. Um, <laughs> the left side of the line is fine. The right side is a kind of an abject disaster, but they've been able to work around it. I guess I would say from the center to the tackle spot, but but like I guess I'm going in like. Am I expecting them to win? Like, I'm not expecting them to win. Like, the Titans are still the one seed. They, For as much as the Goofy, like, they lost to the Jets just like the Bengals. They also, like, beat the shit out of the Rams in L.A. Yeah. Like, they have some – they lost to the Steelers, but they beat the Chiefs, like, in Kansas City. <laughs> right. So, like, they have some good wins. Like, they, they kind of offset their terrible losses. They still went 12-5, and five, which is damn hard to do, even though you play in a dog shit division. Um, so I'm not expecting a win, but like, I'm going in pretty confident that you'd like, feel, you feel better about this than if they were playing the bills or the chiefs. Well, that's, that's the thing is like, okay, draw your scenario. What would you rather have have happen? You play the Titans in Tennessee where, you know, you'll have a decent amount of fans and it ain't exactly Buffalo or Kansas city from a home field advantage standpoint. And you play Ryan Tannehill versus versus playing Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. Like it's as it's as good of a situation as you could ask for. Yeah. So you if you're go gonna be in the divisional round, this the is divisional the best round case. In the playoffs. Like all these teams are good. Like nobody very rarely do you like accidentally <clears throat> because you would have had to lose at home, like the to to move on from to the divisional round. You would have a bad, a quote unquote, bad playoff team. I mean, they made the play, you know, would have had to have yeah. lost at home. Sure. And even the, you know, the 49ers are the only team that, that won on the road. And I don't think anybody would consider them, you know, bad. I mean, they're pretty right. darn, I mean, a lot of people thought they would beat the Cowboys anyway. So 
it's as it's if you were drawing this up, you know, X number of weeks ago, this is what the scenario you would have wanted. And Burrow's just been whether it's the last year in at LSU, and then this year, like he's won every game that he's had to win. Right. So we shall see, and if they win, we will be uh, we will be cheering very very hard for Buffalo. the Buffalo Bills. Are, are you'll be in a will you be in a suite in Buffalo or? Well, I've already asked that, and I don't. I don't think they're going to let a bunch, of Bengals, a bunch of Bengals, some Bengals fans in the GM suite. Maybe the club club level. Maybe they can yeah, find you yeah, some right. club level spots. Brandon will probably stick us in in the last row and you know, <laughs> screw these guys. But uh, but no, if they if they can win and you know go to happen to go to Buffalo, we'll be we'll be following them right right along there. So. It's pretty wild. I was, I was put. I was doing the math. I have been to thirteen football games this year, college and mm-hmm. pro. Mm-hmm. My record is twelve and one. Ooh, it's pretty good. It is it's pretty good. So we'll, we're, we're, we'll we'll see. All right. Well, we got you over two hours by talking Bengals because we were done with Bearcats at like one fifty-two. Yeah. Good. So if we had Bengals to the end of this show. Uh, we're going to get over two hours regularly. Well, when when relevant, you know, we're not going relevant. We're right. not going, and we'll I mean, be talking plenty of <laughs> this year, especially. We'll be talking plenty of NFL draft, yeah, for the next few months when you got the Senior Bowl, the Combine. Am I sending you to Mobile or what? I don't. I still didn't even. I don't think you. Could, I mean, I don't know. Well, probably not because I think I have something. I think I have something that weekend actually. All is right. it is it the weekend of like February nineteenth? I think so, yeah. Yeah. I, I the the missus and I are uh <clears throat> she's very much into true crime. So there's a uh event, one of the podcasts she listens to there from Columbus. There's an event at Brewdog Brewery in Columbus on the 19th. So I was just gonna say, take her to Mobile with you. <laughs> she, yeah. She already goes to enough sporting sporting stuff with me. I can I can go listen to some people talk about true crime drama for a couple hours. All right. Well, there you go. The timestamps are all in the chat. If you want timestamps, you can find them. That's where they are. And uh, that's gonna wrap it up. Dave, over under on how long it will be until your head is on the pillow asleep. Uh, I'll go with 19 minutes. That'll be a little bit longer than that. But 24 minutes. Easily before 11. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot. It's been uh, it's been a great show. I think we covered a lot of fucking ground tonight. Like in terms of like shows with like no games to talk about and you know, kind of limited. Uh, on the surface topics, I think we gave you a phenomenal show tonight. It was brought to you not only by our friends at the Holy Grail, but by our friends at Home Field Apparel. Saturday, noon. Be ready to spend a lot of money. Enter <laughs> Bearcat Journal. You get 15% off. I'm telling you, this collection is fire. I can tell you this. 
if I had to buy this collection, like, independently, I would buy the shirt Dave got and the two shirts I got instantly. They would be at the top of the list, and they're not, like, if there was a top five, they'd all be in the top five. I'm, I'm not sure they're number one and maybe not number two. So be ready Saturday at noon to get your home field apparel because it is an awesome, awesome collection. That's it. We'll see you next time. He's Dave Simone. I'm Chad Brendel. It's the Holy Grail BCJ podcast right here on BearcatJournal.com.